Hi there, this is Ian Rankin. You're listening to Writer's Digest. This is Attica Locke. This is Lee Child. Hey, I'm Lou Bernie. This is Lawrence Block. This is Rachel Housel Hall. Really good question. Well, that's an interesting question. It's interesting that you say that. This is Meg Gardner, and you're listening to Writer Types with Eric Beatner and S.W. Lassen. Welcome to the show. I'm Eric Beatner, and with me is S.W. Loudon, and we are here to talk to crime and mystery authors about crime and mystery books. So let's get to it. Who do we have today, Steve? Today, the writing team of Alfred Goh and Miles Millar describe how they are complete opposite of you and I, Eric. You know, we don't really argue or fight about anything. We've never had a blowout fight or a screaming match or someone walking out or, you know, coffee thrown. And Wendell Thomas gives us her Hollywood script pitch for the show. Downton Abbey meets Law & Order SVU. And we hear from some writers behind a new anthology inspired by the songs of the Go-Go's. All that is brought to you by our sponsor, Blackstone Publishing. Some Blackstone titles we think you would enjoy include The Truth Itself by James Rayburn, The Big Get Even by Paul DeFilippo, and The Liar's Girl by Catherine Ryan Howard. Those books and more can be found at blackstonepublishing.com. I could definitely recommend The Truth Itself. I enjoyed that book. I'm, I'm more into lying. <laughs> I know this about you. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, no, I am. No, I totally am not. <laughs> well, as long as we're on the subject, Steve, have you read any good books lately? Eric, I have read so many good books, but they're still all rock biographies. So what I did was actually get back to our roots a little bit, and I've been checking out some flash fiction e-zines. The Flash Fiction Offensive uh, recently came under new management, which includes Jesse Rollins, Jim Schaefer, and Bo Johnson. And David Nemeth and Chris Radigan are also in the fold. You know, you and I cut our teeth writing flash fiction at some of these e-zines. That's right. I had several pieces published there. And I've come across a couple of those in digging back into the archives over there, including two stories of my own. <laughs> it's it's hard to believe that it's almost the 10th anniversary of the flash fiction offensive. Wow, good for them. In looking back at it, if you're an aspiring writer and you want to find a way to cut your teeth or or hone your chops, Flash fiction is a really amazing way to do that because with flash fiction offensive, you have to hand in something that's a complete story that you get done in a thousand words. And there is 10 years of archival evidence that people can do this kind of storytelling. And so if you haven't been there, go check out outofthegutteronline.com and go look at some great flash fiction. How about you, Eric? You've been reading a lot? Uh, I have. I've actually started out 2019 on a really good run of some some really good books. And since we skipped talking about books last time, I'm going to mention two of them. Okay. So, so uh, the first was My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oyinkam Braithwaite. And man, it just has one of the most unique voices that I've read in a while. It, it takes place in Nigeria and it's narrated by this uh, woman whose sister is uh, kind of the prettier one and always kind of got all the breaks. And now it turns out that all of her boyfriends keep ending up dead. (laughs) And so this sister who's like the responsible one is having to kind of cover up for her sister who is turning out to be technically a serial killer because she's killed more than three people. I love the writing and the style of it. These, these really short chapters, these little like glimpses into their world, but just the characterization was really unique and uh, just something I had not read in quite that style before. So really, really dug that. 
the other one was uh, The Line That Held Us by David Joy. And uh, this is uh, Joy's third book. And I, I really enjoyed his first two. I think this may be his best, though. So something about it really hit me. But he just has such a talent for writing these great, really dark uh, Appalachian noir novels. But his language is also so rich and just really you can you can savor the the prose of it all. If you haven't read David Joy before, the line that held us is going to absolutely get you hooked on his work. Yeah, David Joy has a lot of rabid fans out there for a good reason. Absolutely. Well, you know, another book I read recently and really enjoyed was a Cold War spy thriller called Double Exposure. It happened to be written by our first guests, Alfred Goh and Miles Millar. This is their first novel, but the duo has been writing screenplays together for nearly 25 years. In addition to several feature films, they created the show Smallville and have executive produced hits like Into the Badlands. Well, we got all four of us on the line to talk about their debut novel and learning how to make a lasting creative partnership work. Does it have anything to do with living in a house together like the monkeys? <laughs> it just might. <laughs> I absolutely loved this book. It was, it was right up my alley. You're clearly old movie buffs, uh, and so that was perfect for a film geek like me. Uh, you know, you've got main characters named Wells and Tolan, which was a, a great little uh, wink and a nod for, for someone who can read between the lines there. Uh, you've got references to, uh, I picked out sort of a David Lean, maybe a Werner Herzog in there. Yeah. Is this something that you guys bonded over uh, early or something you found out about each other later? Well, Miles and I actually met in film school at USC. We went to the uh, Peter Stark Producers Program. It's a graduate program. They let in like 20 type A students a year. It was like the Hunger Games, but in the 90s. And so we we bonded because we both love movies, all types of movies. And, and frankly, I think Miles had a wider movie palette than I did at that time. So I certainly learned a lot from him. Yeah, I think definitely I have a sort of a, a wider range of, of movies in terms of Al's got from like 1980, his film knowledge is, is encyclopedic. But uh, pre-1980, it's a little bit more sketchy. And foreign movies as well is not really his thing. So, But we definitely bonded over our love of film. And so this double exposure was a great opportunity to sort of do a, a novel, but also really uh, embed lots of Easter eggs of, of film for film geeks like yourself. So that's I'm glad you picked some of them up. It's, it was a fun thing to do and to, to conceive. You guys have been writing screenplays together for a while now with many feature films as well as Smallville and Into the Badlands among them. What made you want to come and slum with us book nerds down here in Crimeland? <laughs> well, th this was a this was a project that sort of started as a as a screenplay idea. Then we realized that it's period and it's big and it's globe trotting. So many strikes against it as a movie. And at the time, we had just adapted I Am Number Four with James Fry. And he said, well, you guys should write this as a book. Like, it's a, it's a great character. So Miles and I sat down, and this is what we do with, with our features and, and with our television series, is we do very extensive outlines. And with this one, because it was, you know, our first novel, we wanted to make sure we had everything, you know, all of the arcs worked out, all the twists and turns of it. You know, we're big outliners. We find that when you do that and you sort of have done what we call the math part of the of the equation, that when you sit down to write, it, it's actually more freeing because then it allows you to find scenes and, and really, you know, know that you have the what we'd say the comfort of a roadmap so that you can go off on the side roads and and really explore 
things that you find while writing versus I'm trying to build the road as I'm driving. Amen. Oh, preach it for the outliners. Yes. <laughs> well, there's always this, there's the, you know, the Stephen King approach, which is sort of the idea of excavation, which is you just, you know, grab a shovel and you start digging and then the story emerges in the dirt, like a prehistoric creature. You find the, the dinosaur bones. Um, that That's not what we subscribe to. Um, I think he's a genius. So that if you're Stephen King, that's great. It works for him. But for mere mortals like us, we need to really figure it out beforehand. And I think for us, it was just fun to do something different. Um, one of the things that we've done in our career is not stayed true to one genre, which is quite, quite unusual, I think. Most writers sort of stick to a lane. Certainly agents and movie executives want you to do that. They want you to be pigeonholed so they can understand what you do. And we've always sort of resisted that, maybe to our detriment, but uh, it's just too boring to stay true to one thing. I want to know if you got any resistance because you've chosen to make your hero be, of all things, a film preservationist. <laughs> and that <laughs> seems like the kind of thing that maybe publishing and definitely Hollywood might want to give you a note of like, hey, maybe can we sexy this up a little bit? You know, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, there was this transcript going around Hollywood a couple of years ago of Spielberg, Lucas, and Lawrence Kasdan talking about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was kind of their story, this, the transcript of their story sessions. And, you know, we read that. And, you know, Indiana Jones was a character, certainly in our younger years, that resonated because I had heard of archaeology. I didn't know what an archaeologist did. You know, here's a guy who was in a classroom, but then he was sort of an action hero. He had a bullwhip, but he also got the crap kicked out of him from time to time. So I think... For us, it was the specificity of what he does is what makes him unique. And then what allows us as storytellers, it gives us a, a very specific point of view to enter a story so that you know only David Tolan could do this case versus Jason Bourne or Robert Langdon or who, whoever else. But we also wanted to really have a strong female presence in the story. And I think sometimes, you know, certainly in this genre, that's something that you don't see often. But we did like that strong female presence and that certainly in the in the initial part of the book, she's she's really driving the plot. You know, she knows way more than he does. And he's kind of trying to figure out what's going on. You guys do have a lot of humor amid all the action in the book. So which of you two is the funny one? Well, that would definitely be Al. Uh, so, yeah. Al can laugh at his own joke forever. A lot. He's, he is very, uh, once he has a punchline, he can repeat it again and again and again, which is great. It's a great, again, great skill set. Um, I'm the serious English one. So, who's kind of intimidating and sort of scary to people. And Al's the sort of the fun American who's very, like, you know, welcoming and, and warm. Ironically, he can be pretty mean and I can be pretty nice. <laughs> this is a narrative he's been pushing for 25 years. It's true. But that's good. <laughs> uh, well, see, that's good because this is interesting that we're, it, it, Steve and I, you know, we've partnered up for this podcast. You guys have partnered up for your writing project. Steve and I have never written anything together. And I think maybe it's out of fear that it would all break down and it would end in bitterness and, and anger. <laughs> but but uh, I, I will say that as we record this, we are all four in different houses. So we, we've learned to uh, keep our distance from each other to save the working relationship. Would you say that that works? A, a little bit of good distance from each other? Funnily enough, Miles and I probably live about a mile from each other. And um, we, we hang out a lot. 
And, you know, and I'm looking around, I think my wife has left with my son, so I can say this now, is even on the weekend sometimes, we'll like text and we'll be like, hey, can you get away for a couple hours? And we'll be like, we're going to meet and go work on something. So we'll like get away for two hours and uh, and hang out. So, <laughs> you know, we don't really argue or fight about anything, particularly, you know, story. We just work through it. You know, we've never had a blowout fight or a screaming match or someone walking out or, you know, coffee thrown. It's been very... <laughs> Um, what's weird, isn't it, actually? You know, as I'm listening to those answers, I'm thinking that maybe the four of us should move in together. No, listen, listen for a second. <laughs> I think we should move in together and we could be like the monkeys of crime fiction. That would be great. <laughs> that would be cool. Who's going to be Mickey Dolans? I don't know. I'll be Mickey Dolans. It's fine. Right. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Miles, you already bring the accent, so you you, you can be the, you can be the cute one. Yeah, he Nick, it up. Davis, right? Was it the was it, was it the fifth monkey? I don't know. Um, Pete Best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys have had a rabid fan base for a lot of what you've worked on. You know, you've been to Comic Con, and you can see that fan reaction. Are you ready for the crazy reader world? Because I'm telling you, it's pretty not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been very interesting in terms of just the, the aspect of publishing. We've never, we've never dived into this world before. So it's been really fascinating in terms of the editors and the, the whole publishing house situation and getting the book sold and all those sort of different things, which is very different from Hollywood. So it's going to be fascinating to see. We go to a couple of book festivals, and it's going to be really interesting to see the difference with Comic Con, where it is literally one of the most insane experiences you can imagine as a, as a creator of a show to face six thousand screaming people who know every element of your of your work and have a thousand questions you don't know the answer to because they've watched the show a thousand times more than you have. That's a very intense experience, but I think it's going to be really fun to see and interact with people who've read the book. You guys already are the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Steve, you know, I'd imagine if you asked people who grew up in the 1980s, like we did, who their favorite bands were of that era, most people would include the Go-Go's on that list, wouldn't you say? Uh, definitely. It's always been neck and neck for me between the Go-Go's and Asia. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say Asia? I meant level 42. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It, I forgot about Scritti Politti. <laughs> I'm just going to wait and see how many of these you can do. I don't. Do you have 17 hours? <laughs> do you remember uh, the first time that you uh, heard a copy of Beauty and the Beat or, or, or that you picked one up? I do, although it will definitely uh, date me. I remember being in junior high school and hearing it played for the first time on K-Rock in Los Angeles. Nice. And sort of being blown away uh, by that floor tom um, and the energy and Belinda Carlisle's vocals. And, and I was a fan from that moment forward. I would have given anything to see the Go-Go's live before that album was recorded when they were like deep into the whole L.A. punk scene. And it's, it sounds like they were kind of a very different band before they sanded all the rough edges off of them in the studio. Yeah, for everything I've read and what little I've heard and seen is they were a really noisy, aggressive punk rock band. Well, you and I are both lucky enough to have stories in the new anthology that is inspired by the music of the Go-Go's. And for our Unpanel this time, we invited a few authors and editor Holly West to tell us how they came to pick their song titles. I'm Holly West, editor of Murder A Go-Go's, crime fiction inspired by the music of the Go-Go's. 
Now, admittedly, the idea for a music-themed anthology isn't exactly original. Editors like David James Keaton, Joe Clifford, and Jay Stringer, and probably a few I'm forgetting, have already published compelling volumes marrying music and noir. But they featured male artists and mostly male authors, and I had a female-driven project in mind. The Go-Go's were the perfect, if not the obvious, choice. I'm notoriously lazy, so I didn't intend to pursue the idea until a group of us writers were sitting in a bar one day and I mentioned it. Their response was so enthusiastic it gave me the confidence to pitch the idea to Eric Campbell at Down and Out Books. One of the contributors, Craig Faustus Buck, had an in with Jane Weedlin, and once she agreed to write the foreword, I believe her response was, hell yeah! The project was off and running. Now let's hear from a few of the authors who wrote stories for Murder A Go Go's. Hi, I'm Diane Valere, and I write fiction for women who like shoes, clues, and clothes. I picked the go-go song, We Don't Get Along, because I wanted to play with the idea of a couple who seemed perfect for each other when they first met, who even believed it for a while, and one day realized they couldn't stand each other and wanted to break up. In my story, in addition to their relationship, the two are a pair of burglars. They've honed their operation to use each other's strengths, and now that they've decided to go separate ways, they've agreed to one last job knocking off a reclusive 80s pop star's house in the Hollywood Hills. In addition to the romantic animosity that the song inspired, I wanted to get the 80s into the story, and I wanted the mystery to have to do with something valuable from the pop star's wardrobe. Lastly, I write on the more humorous side of the mystery scale, and I wanted to bring that tone to my contribution. The rest, you'll have to read for yourself. Hello, I'm Travis Richardson, author of Bloodshot and Bruised, Crime Stories from the South and West. I was unaware that Johnny Are You Queer was originally sung but never recorded by the Go-Go's. When editor Holly West came up with the idea of a Go-Go's anthology, somebody read off their song catalog from Wikipedia. After Johnny Are You Queer came up, another person said, nobody should touch that. The contrarian side of me said, oh yeah, I can do it. And so I did. The story is about a strong-willed woman who receives a note from her dead ex-fiance asking her to look into his murder. It was a tough story to write, but I worked with Holly to create a tale of betrayal, sexual identity, AIDS, sacrifice, loyalty, and murder, of course. My name is Susanna Calkins, and I write the award-winning Lucy Campion historical mysteries and the forthcoming speakeasy murders from Minotaur. I love the Go-Go's. I remember listening to the music when I was in high school, and I selected You Thought, because it had an underlying sense of betrayal. My story features a young couple buying their first home and the betrayal they felt at the hands of their realtor. The sentiment and anger comes from my own keenly felt sense of betrayal that my husband and I experienced after we bought our home at the height of the housing bubble 10 years ago. I think readers are gonna be able to relate to this. Next up is Wendell Thomas, author of the Sid Redondo series of mysteries. Wendell also works in Hollywood, so we have ourselves a theme show, I think. Well, we talked with Wendell about her character Sid traveling and her advice to young writers. How are you? I'm good. How's your weekend? Good so far. Well, it's about to get better because you're on writer types. Hurrah. <laughs> that uh, was a very neutral response, Eric. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thrilled to be on writer type. Okay, that's 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 the proper response. Uh, so, Wendell, your Sid Redondo series that 
started with Lost Luggage. Uh, it doesn't start with a real traditional mystery setting or, or plot. I mean, Sid isn't a cop or detective. She's a travel agent. And yes, while there's a death early in the book, the plot revolves around exotic animal trafficking. So why was it important to you to, to stand out from the rest of the mystery crowd? Um, you know, it's really funny. I This started as a script. I actually wrote it. I wanted to write the next Romancing the Stone. That was my goal. And I, I was looking for someone who would be out of fish out of water in Africa. And then I started looking for crimes and I came across the animal smuggling, which is horrendous and has been going on forever. I mean, I started the script in 2004 and it was already horrible. So it's only gotten worse. And so the first draft of the book actually wasn't a mystery. It was an adventure. But, um, you know, they don't they don't exist in the book world, as you know. <laughs> There's no place in Barnes & Noble for that. And so someone suggested that I have a dead body. And it kind of went on from there. So, so you set out to write about a swashbuckling travel agent. Yes, yes I did. <laughs> I can see it. I can picture it. Yeah, well, that's the other thing is that people told me not to do that because everybody, the cozies are supposed to be in one place. And I never thought it was a cozy to begin with, but that's where everyone wants to put it still. Don't they know they can't keep you in a box, Wendell? <laughs> they can try. They can try. Sid Redondo is a really awesome character name. You know, maybe like a, a super solid 1970s weather person. So uh, how'd you come up with it? Well, it was the mixture of, I, I make a left on Redondo Boulevard off Denver almost every day. So I love that Redondo is a word. And then Sid Charisse, because that's what her parents named her after Sid Charisse. So that's where it comes from. Well, Sid's uh, brand new adventure, Drowned Under, is just out. Uh, was it easy to get right back into Sid's voice? Uh, I think the voice is the easiest thing for me, for sure. I could write her kind of all day. It, that's not the problem. For me, it's always the plot, you know, kind of making the mystery work because I'm not a mystery writer or I haven't been before. So the mystery part is the trickiest for me. Did you find, uh, the thing I find with with a, kind of a more traditional mystery is it, it's really difficult for me in my the way my brain works to kind of reverse engineer it because you do have to sort of start with the solution a little bit. Did, did you find that same sort of struggle? Well, it would have been a lot easier if I had done that. Right? <laughs> that was my tip to you i know i'd appreciate that going into book three yeah no it's um i i actually wasn't 100 percent sure i knew what the crime was and i knew where i wanted her to wind up as like her low moment and her crisis but i wasn't 100 percent sure of who did it to be honest wendell looking at your bio you've had every possible behind the scenes job in hollywood um <laughs> What, what advice do you have for budding screenwriters trying to make it in this town? Honestly, I would say get a production job because I started out in development, like television development and stuff. And then you spend all your time reading bad scripts um, and you make no money. And if you're a costume assistant or a prop wrangler or um, someone who works in production, not only do you get per diem when you're shooting, but you get time off to write. So if I were doing it again, because I eventually became a director's assistant and that was a much better job for writing than being, you know, in script development. All right. Well, so then conversely, what's your advice for budding crime novelists? Trust your voice. I, I know that sounds so stupid. It's such a cliche, but like I said, I, I knew this book was a good idea and I fought everyone for that. You know, I didn't, I took forever to get an agent. Then she 
wanted it all changed. And I just, I had a feeling that it would be, I don't know, that somebody would want to read it. You just, you have to be pretty resilient though. Like I said, I sent out 55 query letters. I will say this, read everyone's submissions requirements and do them. Like if they ask for three pages, do three pages. If they, you know, just be very, very respectful of people's time. Because I think that that people have all of those requirements for a reason that's specific to them. And if you don't respect that, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, for writer types, we get solicited a lot by writers who want to be interviewed. And it says explicitly on our website that you should send us $5,000 and it's not happening. And yet no one, they'll send you 4,500, right? It's not enough. I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, well, the checks in the mail. Checks. That's a sad thing. <laughs> so exotic locales are definitely a, a key to these books. Are you yourself an, an avid traveler? I am. I'm a very avid traveler. Always have been. I think mostly to just escape my mother starting about 18. <laughs> but I went to, uh, yeah, I kind of vamoosed my first summer of college I didn't know anyone I went and worked on Nantucket and then I went to Colorado and then I went to Berkeley and then I went to Europe and so I do and I, I actually do a lot of lectures overseas so I try to find ways for other people to pay for my trips which is how I wound up in Australia wow sign me up for that yeah it's a very lucky job and I, I still can't kind of believe that I have it <laughs> what's the foreign city you've been to the most in your travels well, London, I think yeah. probably. I've probably yeah. been to London maybe 35 times. Wow. And Melbourne would be second. What is one city you want to travel to that you haven't made it to yet? I haven't been to Florence. So that, I really want to go to Florence. That's that's probably my next, and Madrid. I've been to Florence, so ha ha. <laughs> I, I'm insanely jealous of you, Eric. <laughs> I've, I've been to Pasadena a bunch. Does that count? Yeah, I think <clears throat> so. It's pretty damn exotic over there. <laughs> yeah. Our unpanel this episode is about the upcoming GoGo's themed anthology from Down and Out Books. And since you have a story in that collection as well, uh, why don't you join in the fun and tell us how you chose your song? I was limited somewhat because some of the songs had already been gone. Some of the songs were already gone by the time I came on board. But I wanted, I, I've always wanted to do a kind of amnesia story. So Forget That Day for me was like the perfect perfect song. So it was more that I thought I, I knew I could write a story about someone who's like lost a day. So Sid's next adventure is uh, is just hitting bookshelves now. Uh, and so what can we expect next from you? I mean, do you, are you going to ever go back to those uh, non-mystery roots of yours? Or are you going to stick with Sid for a while? I want to write another Sid. And I think my, my working title for the new one, which is set in London, is Fogged Off. So we'll see. <laughs> it may not fly. But um, but I have my passion project for the last 20 years has been inspired by this attorney in 1901 in London who represented a whole series of women who um, committed violent crimes. I've got a first draft of that. So I'm trying to finish a, you know, a proper draft of that before I completely finish the next Sid, just because I'd like to do two series. And I think it could be a legal like it's my Downton Abbey meets Law and Order SVU kind of thing. So that's a heck of a pitch. Yeah, well, I, I'm a screenwriter. I should be able to do that. <laughs> That's my job. We teach people to do it. Our next guest doesn't work in Hollywood, but he is a writer at the LA Times, and he has been stationed around the world. So I guess thematically it works from a travel perspective. That sounds good. I mean, I think it's time to ask him five questions, Steve. 
Jeffrey Fleischman is a journalist and Pulitzer Prize finalist who has decided to join us far away from the awards and accolades in the crime writing world. Like I said, theme show. Well, Jeffrey's first crime novel, My Detective, is a deep dive into the mind of a serial killer in modern day Los Angeles. Your latest novel, My Detective, is centered around a serial killer who is targeting architects. What inspired you to write that story? Uh, I've always been intrigued by by the serial killer, like many of us are. But I wanted to, with this one, she's a a woman, I wanted to um, base it on vengeance. What as a motivating factor, Um, someone who celebrates her kill, but afterwards has a deep fall, almost a guilt or remorse of reflecting on what she's doing. She seems convinced in her mind of her mission, but then after it, the totality of sort of the damage in the body or the bodies around her, she starts wondering why, and she starts questioning this and leading to all these moral questions. I want to set her, she's an architect, and I want to set her in that profession because it's long discriminated against women. So I wanted to explore that dynamic, sort of the the mental and psychological driving forces of the serial killer. The best crime fiction that I've read, and I'm I'm sort of still new to it, has been really strong on character. So this was my attempt to really get into the mind of Dylan Cross, my my killer, and then also the protagonist, Detective Sam Carver. Well, in addition to the role that Changing City plays in the story, My Detective really is as much about modern-day Los Angeles as it is about the serial killer or the detective in the story. So why was the City of Angels the right setting for My Detective? For me, I'm I'm, uh, I'm new to the city about five years, and when I got here, you, you read so much about Los Angeles and, you know, the the myths and the glory and the sin and the sunlight and all these things that every, every writer has come here sort of struggled to put into their own voice or their own unique take on it. But I wanted to, I live right downtown, so I wanted to, to look at what was happening in modern downtown Los Angeles um, right now, which was buildings going up, the whole aesthetic and character of the city changing, more and more poverty, more and more homeless coinciding with hipsters and wealth clubs and people sleeping on sidewalks and it's not so much on the beach or in the mountains although we do have we do have glimpses of that but it's really sort of in in the gritty center of LA and how that's being reimagined right now you mentioned that you're new to Los Angeles and we know you work for the LA Times by day you're also a Pulitzer Prize finalist so my question is this do you think you're better than us <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, this is my third novel. It's my first noir, but I find it fascinating to be able to explore the city through this genre. Uh, let me ask in a more polite way. For what were you nominated for a Pulitzer? Um, I was nominated for a, a series of feature stories, the main one being when I accompanied uh, 15 Buddhist monks and nuns on their escape journey out of Tibet across the Himalayas and into Nepal, ultimately in Dharamsala, India, where the Dalai Lama has a government in exile. And it was fascinating um, because it was, he truly saw the drama of life of people truly trying to survive against some of the most beautiful and harshest uh, places on earth. We would trek at night and sleep in the day to stay hidden from Chinese soldiers. Um, it was very humbling for me to be on a trek like that to see 
that we often in the West talk about freedom and, and how easy it sort of comes to us, but to see people put it on their line and, and, and their lives. We left one nun who actually, we think, died. She, she couldn't keep going, and the, the guy, the leader of the trek, just um, stopped and said, you can't go on anymore, but we can't stop, and we have to go ahead, and, and it was just uh, hard to do. But um, those are the things that were really humbling to me in that experience. Well, okay, since this is your first foray into crime fiction, what appealed to you about the genre that made you decide to take it on? For me, I, you know, just uh, in, my, in my day job, hat capacity of the L.A. Times reporter, I, I, a couple of weeks ago I spent the day with Don Winslow, whose new border has just come out, um, which I don't know if you've read it yet, but it's really a terrific book. And, and I was asking him about crime fiction and noir. Uh, but one of the most interesting things he told me, at least as far as edify, edifying me to the craft, was of, uh, that he thought that the, the creed of, of every crime writer should be Bruce Springsteen's song's Darkness on the Edge of Town. <laughs> because yeah. because he, he thought living under the shadows and on the bridge and then that very sort of end of the end of the streetlight kind of thing was where, where crime fiction lived. My Detective comes out April 15th. What will you be doing to celebrate the release? As fortunes may have it, or as some slate of hand may be at work, but I will be at the Los Angeles Times Book Festival. So I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a, a nice launch. And thanks to our partners at Blackstone Publishing, we're actually giving away a copy of Jeffrey Fleischman's book, My Detective. Just go check out our Twitter page and find out how you can win. Well, boy, Steve, we really do get to talk to some interesting people. So what did we learn this time? Alfred Goh and Miles Millar taught us that we're all going to be roommates soon, and I guess also we have to start a band and get Neil Diamond to write some songs for us? Wendell Thomas taught us that if you want to be a writer, the best advice is to get a damn job. And Jeffrey Fleischman taught us that even though he is clearly better than us, the polite thing to do is to deny it and move on. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blackstone Publishing. Visit blackstonepublishing.com for a great selection of titles in crime fiction and more. You really should be following us on Twitter, at WriterTypes, and please subscribe to the show, and while you're there, leave us a review. This show, as always, is produced and edited by Eric Beatner and S.W. Loudon. For more on Steve's books, visit swloudon.com. And for more on Eric's books, go to ericbeatner.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.